This episode of the CinePunk podcast comes with a content warning for sensitive material around mental health, self-harm and suicide. Listener discretion is strongly recommended. This is CinePunk. This episode, Where They Can't Find Us. Hello, I'm Robert J.E. Simpson. This episode of CinePunked was recorded in September 2019 at the Crescent Arts Centre Belfast and is an unedited recording of one of our live panel discussions. Before you listen though, a little bit of context. The session was originally planned as a live panel to follow a screening of Eric Steele's powerful 2006 documentary, The Bridge, which told the story of a year in the life of San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge and the people who chose to end their lives at the spot. The film follows the stories of a number of the people who committed suicide through the eyes of those who survived them and one survivor too. The film stirred up a great deal of debate at the time of its release and remains controversial. At CinePunked, we believe strongly in discussing issues around mental health. It is something that we have all personal experience of and we rather hoped that the film itself would help stimulate some conversation around an incredibly difficult topic and aid the breaking down of the taboo. We arranged for a number of mental health workers and therapists to join us, as we have done with other sensitive discussions, so that anybody in the room who was affected by what they saw or the conversation itself would have support on hand. We are joined in this by Stuart, who works for one of the rescue services here in Northern Ireland, to share his first-hand experiences. The conversation uses the film The Bridge as a starting point only for a discussion around issues of mental health and suicide. It is deeply personal and frank. Our audience on the evening, for various reasons, ended up being composed of the people we had working on the show, and being among friends may have permitted us to be a little more honest than we would have otherwise have been. A technical note to listeners too, there is some interference on one of the microphones that we have been unable to eliminate, which runs throughout the episode. We hope it doesn't mar your listening experience too much. So we are CinePunked. Uh, uh, my name is Robert Simpson and I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Rachel Kelly. Hello. And uh, tonight, just for a change, we have a special guest, uh, Stuart McChesney, who is a volunteer with the Northern Ireland Community Rescue Service. Oh yeah. Nice to have you, Stuart. Thank you. Thank you. So this, uh, we, we've just sat down through a screening of Eric Steele's documentary, The Bridge, um, which was shot in 2004. Um during that, they, they kind of did it quite discreetly and they filmed ultimately 23 of the known uh, at, at suicides uh, at the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, which is quite an achievement in itself as a documentary. Um, I, th- I think the first place to start with this conversation is kind of your reactions to the film. Um, Stuart, you're new <laughs> for, <laughs> for our listeners. Um, how do you find that film? It's never, I've, I have seen it before, but that it's never an easy watch, that one. Um, it's just the over, the main thing that comes into your head is just why, why? What, why do it? Why, why do it? I mean, it's a very easy question to ask that as well, because no one knows. And whenever someone's in what we perceive to be an irrational state, we can't empathize with them. We need to, so I think overall, Disappointment is a sort of overriding emotion that I would feel, just a real sort of heaviness after watching that. Rachel? 
Um, well, I have seen all but the first 10 minutes of it before. Um, I happened to channel surfing um, during a period of deep clinical depression, um, unable to sleep. I was channel surfing at about three o'clock in the morning um, and I happened across this film and goodness knows what about that particular uh, state of mind. This film really appealed to me. Um, it, it, I ended up watching it all the way through and it prompted me to look for help afterwards, which was quite a turning point in that particular episode. Um, watching it again this evening, um, it's quite a different experience. Um, it's, it, I, I'm able to watch it uh, in a much more dispassionate manner. Um, it's, it's still profoundly emotionally affecting. Um, it's a very difficult film to watch. Um, I think it's an incredible achievement. Um, as a piece of filmmaking, I have no no end of respect for the loved ones left behind who who contributed to it. Um, I mean, this is being shot soon after bereavement by suicide, which um, I'm, I've I've never been bereaved by suicide. Thankfully, um, I can't imagine there is a worse way to lose somebody you love. Um, and they were able to speak on camera about it and contribute to something that, that documents something that just needs to be discussed it needs to be talked about we need to lift the taboo about talking about suicide and about the crisis that leads to suicide um and i just i i mean i i understand the criticisms leveled against this film um i i have a certain sympathy for some of them um but i think it's an important incredibly important and an incredibly profound piece of filmmaking yeah so I realise uh, every time I talk about this, I, I, I find tonight's watching it quite easy. And now we're starting to talk about it. That's where my emotions are starting to come back in again. Um, I first saw this mid-2000s. Must be in Channel 4, screened it mm-hmm. uh, with my partner at the time. Um, I remember being haunting and kind of sticking. And then I had put it in that nice safe little box where you don't remember it for 13 years until I was walking on the Golden Gate Bridge. And then it all just came right back to me. And I think it was the, the added poignancy of, of sort of being in the space and looking over that edge. I mean, it's it's over 200 feet from that tiny four foot tall wall mm-hmm. down to the water. Um, and, and for those of you in Northern Ireland, to put it into perspective, that's like jumping off the top of Samson and Goliath down into the water. Um, so seeing that... And pitching yourself in that situation and thinking how easy it would be just to climb over that and look at that tiny ledge and then that big drop down is, is, is terrifying. But it, I've sort of already said this elsewhere and, and earlier on this evening. Um, it's having lost two people in the course of a year to suicide uh, and one of them being one of my best friends. And in that moment, kind of trying to process it and thinking about what he went through and all the emotions. And for me, this film has been part of my catharsis and my, my kind of processing. Coming back to it when I was feeling very vulnerable, very, very low, um, but not able fully to talk about some of the stuff. Mm. And you see there are other people who feel exactly the same way. The guilt in particular is is devastating and trying to rationalize things with yourself. Um, and this film allows people to have that voice and to say it. Um, I love that mother and daughter early on, you know, and the and the brother who's kind of off somewhere else thinking his own things, mm. trying to rationalize it, and 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 mother uh, mother's talking away, 
and you can see the daughter kind of with the eyebrows constantly raised and kind of you know she's thinking something completely different and processing it and everyone's trying to find their way through and 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 sort of to make it understandable i would think what's nice about that well nice in a sort of loose sense of the word about that film is you see they're talking and they've got different perspectives on Mm. their reaction to their loved one committing suicide and they're communicating maybe on two different levels but they're communicating on the same objective if that makes sense yeah and it's something that is missing drastically within the gap between realizing that there's a mental health issue and someone going and committing suicide is huge yeah in this country i can speak you know firsthand it's a massive gap and there's no communication between that regardless of your point of view whether you agree with one or you disagree with others there's just no communication from oh yeah he's got a mental health problem oh well oh he killed himself do you know what i mean it's just a massive massive chasm in between the two well where you come into this uh so jumping outside the film a little bit uh so you're someone who works for the community rescue service you're one of those people who gets the call to say that somebody is missing yeah well we so we work predominantly for the PSNI whenever someone goes to from medium to high risk we would get called and the majority of times it's not for the dementia patients it's not for this the special needs people it's for people who have indicated that are going to go and end their lives so our primary as the as the name says we search and rescue and a lot of the times it is a positive outcome where we do find people, but more often than not, it's not. And one of the biggest eye-openers I've had is the age range that we would get calls to. I mean, to give you a contrast is we've had calls for 12-year-old girls on a supposed suicide pact, which ended good, if you know, we found them, to 71-year-old, you know, person who you think oh sure they've lived their life they're 71 this grand will be grand and that's you know an unsuccessful sort of task and if you like so one of the big eye openers for me doing this has been the range and no one is immune absolutely no one is immune but yet no one really talks about it i had um an incident earlier on in the summer where i spotted someone who i think was I'm still convinced. I think the the horror police were also still convinced was was very very high risk, um and and sort of displaying behaviour like the guys on the bridge, sort of up and down, hanging around somewhere for more than was really comfortable, to the point where you know that this is just odd, um, and it was okay. I mean, it 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 got dealt with, I guess, as well as it can be, and the outcome of of their story, I will never know, um, because I got they returned, uh, um. That's only a little bit that I know. But I had a, a thing a few weeks later where the horror police came out to speak to me because I was too close to the river, which was ironic because I was just having my lunch. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I've spoiled every walk I go on near a river or a bridge because any, no, anyone else walking on that bridge is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm watching you. You know what I mean? So make everyone else paranoid wrecks as well, regardless of their <laughs> intentions. That's not a bad thing, though, is it? I mean, at least it's, it's kind of an awareness that, you know, well, what it does show, I mean, Northern Ireland, everyone says Northern Ireland's a very warm place. People want to help. People are very chatty. And they are to an extent, but we're also oblivious to what's going on. We're, we're in a day and age now where we are fantastically connected to everything, but we don't communicate and we don't talk about anything at all. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it. All these outlets for communicating and 
we're very good at hitting a wee like button or a wee heart button on Instagram and saying like, but but we're crap at going around to your neighbour's house and going, I've noticed you haven't been out. You're right. You know, we're, mm. we're absolutely useless at doing that. You know, so it's it's kind of a paradox going on. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think that the social media thing is a, is a really good um, kind of marker of, of of how disconnected we are becoming i mean not only are we um sort of substituting that online connection for real physical connection um that online connection isn't even based in anything substantial um you know you're, you're putting uh, a, a version of your life out there which is the version it's a curated version of your life which doesn't necessarily bear any great resemblance to what the life actually looks like so a person sort of in crisis scrolling through something like that is going to look at everybody else is happier than me um and and without the the ability to kind of back that up with physical fact you know because we don't go around and and knock on somebody's door and go are you okay um there's no way of, of of kind of sort of recalibrating that to actually um the, the day I posted that picture of, you know, me and my family out having a great time, we'd already had five fights in the car, <laughs> you know, the, the, the kid had wrecked his nappy all the way through, I was cleaning Ew. baby poo out of the seat, the dog ran off and rolled in something, you know, it was the worst day, then it poured with rain, but yeah, look at us, we're so happy and, and delighted, and you know, that what, all you see is that we're happy and delighted, and you go, well, my life doesn't look like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I sort of accustomed to it, the, I call it the, the church welcome. Hi, how are you doing? You all right? No, I'm crap, thanks. Oh, um, anyway, there's your seat over there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, it's, yeah. it's, I'm a sort of panic whenever anybody says, no, actually, I'm feeling a bit shit today. Well, or you're whatever. sort of like, that's not part how of the social contract. Exactly. You, don't, you don't reply, exactly. I'm terrible. That's no. not normal. No. We're, we're not kind of built in with any kind of way to process that yeah. properly. And, you know, most of us work in jobs where we don't have the time to be able to sick, take ourselves out of that job to say, do you know what, you need five minutes, let's yeah. have those five minutes to have a conversation because I think it will make a difference for your day. That's one of my biggest bugbears. And it's, it, I'm a victim of my own curse on that, is not having the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, have you ever felt guilty for sitting doing nothing? I know I do. <laughs> I, get a, I get a rare day off and I'm like, oh crap, I can't be doing that. I'm watching TV, oh no, we need to do it. And it really works me up. And it's just this lifestyle that you, you can't sit and do nothing. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I, I can't sit and do nothing. I would have to be up cleaning something or doing work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I have a two-year-old child, so sitting and doing nothing isn't generally an option. So the opportunities sitting and doing nothing comes so rarely. And when it comes, I can't do it. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Heaps of it. Um, I, this week happens to uh, on uh, earlier on this week um, was World Suicide Prevention Day, apparently, uh, and in the states at least it was National Suicide Prevention Week. I don't think that's something that's being acknowledged here. Uh, I'm kind of very aware that you know this isn't a this is a discussion with a, a you know a live audience. And I think with without any disrespect to those of you who are here in the room and who are part of this conversation, that I think the paucity of of people that are willing to engage in this is, is sort of says an awful lot about how we pay lip service to suicide prevention and awareness and mental health awareness, but aren't actually prepared we, we don't to get up and, and engage in it properly. We still don't understand it. I mean, we understand a broken bone. We understand yeah. a medical illness and the health service deals with that with whatever way they can, but we, we just can't get our, excuse the pun, sort of can't get our heads around any mental health illness. illness. And it's, it's a lack of understanding, but it's also 
we try to understand it through um, tangible things. Mm. That's broken. Fix that. If I broke that glass in front of me, oh, right, I'll either get a new one or I'll get glue and fix that one. But whenever it's something that you can't physically touch or physically put your hands on or visualize, maybe, you know, it's like, oh, crap, do I deal with that? Um, how about we don't? Hmm. <laughs> do you know, and it tends to be, it's, it's not all the time because I'm seeing a growth of good ideas, for want of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. But this impl- implication of those ideas that is, to me, a big problem is, and it's that chasm between, yes, you have a problem and, oh, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Is that's the bit that sort of myths me, and I can't get my head around. You know, I see we're, we're doing an event in a couple of months on on comedy and mental health, uh, and I kind of wonder how often do we sit there and we're happy to engage in it as long as we're being entertained by it, almost like that car crash voyeuristic mentality where it's like, okay, so let's deal with it. Let's see, you're you're a little bit mad, you know, you're a little bit unhinged, you're clearly going through stuff. I'm getting a bit of Schadenfreude from watching you uh, just deteriorate in your life, but I actually don't really want to engage. Um, Am I being too too no, cynical? I, I actually think that's a really interesting point to make, but I, I think it, it kind of reminds me a bit of um, Jean Sprague's friends. They're talking in the film mm-hmm. um, and the way they've obviously, they're, they're exhausted by it. I mean, this is a man with, with sort of chronic sort of, um, by the sounds of it, depression, um, certainly deeply unsatisfied with his life, talking about suicide for years by the sounds of things, mm. and they're exhausted. They're emotionally exhausted by it. Um, to the point where she 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 can't she she can't physically or mentally or emotionally manage another episode of it with him. Um, and and becomes self-preservation. Then, it becomes it? self-preservation, and I mean, there's there's a lot going on with that. I think. Um, I, I mean, I I think you've got to acknowledge that um, you know people caring for people in in crisis or people who love people in crisis. Um, can be completely subsumed by it, um, and so that what you know, strikes me is you know the resources have to be there, mm. um, and I think it when you know that's part of the part of the whole sort of stretching of the NHS is that you know I'm part of what you're saying about um, you know it's not a broken bone we can't tangibly fix it. Um, well, how how what, if you're if you're sort of funding for cancer versus mental health, you know you can. See, it's it's I I'm not really very clear on what I'm saying. I'm just I'm I I think it needs to come down more grassroots though. I mean yeah. I think what what I'm finding through the search and rescue and through mileage I work with um Amazon service as well is there's too much reliance on someone else to fix it. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and it, it we talk about self um self resilience and it's not a suck it up and get on with it, you'll be all right in the morning sort of phrase that I'm using. It's it's the ability to Look out for your neighbours and to look out for yourself mm-hmm. first. I mean, we are, we we are in a fi- we're in a fix it nation or fix it society, and that's worldwide. That's not just Northern Ireland. It's we'll fix it, but we won't look at preventing it. Mm. I mean, we talk about national health service and all that sort. Of, I mean, it's national illness service, really, because we don't. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy, mm-hmm. yeah. really. Mm-hmm. But um, taking that aside, because the NHS is one part of it. it on an individual basis, we need to have the toolkit to be able to identify our own emotions, identify our own trigger points, identify our own vulnerabilities and help stop it before it gets to that spiraling out of control phase. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it's get away from fix it to prevent it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, it sort of sticks in my throat whenever they go, oh, it's suicide prevention day or week. It's like, no, it needs to be mm. ongoing. And, you know, 
I mean, when was the last time you went round your neighbour or you know your neighbours or you chatted to someone? It's that whole sort of, let's not fix it. Let's mm-hmm. stop it getting to that stage, you know? Assumption that because somebody's not saying, I'm not okay, they must be fine. When there's no space to say, I'm not okay. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. There's something about the Golden Gate Bridge itself that, that does have a, a, a sort of romance. Uh, for me, I was there because it was one of the key locations in Vertigo. In fact, it's where Madeline throws herself into the river. Um, that's how I was basically going around doing a Vertigo location hunt. Uh, <laughs> that's how sad I am on my holidays. There's nothing sad about that. That's <coughs> yeah, very, totally very sad. intelligent and good way to spend your holiday in San Francisco. And I hadn't realised at that point, I mean, that film's made at the end of the 50s. At that point, the, the bridge had already got this sort of romanticism and this this sort of uh, become an ideal spot for people to, to choose to end. And there's, there's a theory that sort of says that people do these things in places because other people do it. So there's a lot of mimicry. So one of the things that that is has been cited to me um and a concern that actually some uh, the family of 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 one of my friends had said was that you know um in an instance where somebody has has taken their own life there's a much higher risk of those in the the near vicinity of doing the same thing i'm kind of aware and it's one of the risks about introducing somebody to a film like this i think is that we don't actually really look after the people who have gone through the experience of having lost somebody um i struggle with i mean i, I know i'm still struggling with that um I'm, I'm laying my cards on the table and saying it's really difficult some days to, to kind of cope with with you know someone dying of cancer of old age hit by a car i can kind of get why that happens it's a bit crap but you know accidents happen somebody choosing to end things i mean not having done enough is is, is difficult mm-hmm. One of the massive phrases in that film that sits with me, and we've talked about this within the team, um, is, I'll use the phrase we use, it takes some balls to go and do that. Mm. You know, and it, it does, it takes, it takes a, a, a different courage. It's not a courage that we, society would know of as, you know, fighting off a bear or whatever, that sort of thing. But it's, it takes a certain mindset to convince yourself that that, what you're going to do is a rational decision and it's the, the right decision to do. And the people, we know that people who commit suicide or try to commit suicide aren't, they think they're doing the right thing for their family and they think it's because they're a burden or a whole plethora of reasons for it. But the fallout from it and the sort of repercussions on that is a serious lack of the ability to process what that mind because it's like you've got a two-year-old and um, done done, done. Yes. so when he's having a tantrum you can't rationalize with that tantrum until <laughs> it's finished right because i know <laughs> when i have a tantrum after, at yeah. my age yeah, that no one's going to rationalize well, with me same here right of course, yeah if i don't get my sweeties or my coffee i go off and one you know if i don't get to enough sleep generally speaking yeah sleep that's a good thing we'll talk about that <laughs> later <laughs> but it's you can't rationalize with irrational and i grew up with a mother who was convinced she was a boat show. <laughs> she was a what? A boat show, not just a boat, a boat show. So we were always told she had the flu, you know, so it was a psychiatric issue, obviously, but I never processed that as a child because it's like, that's so rational. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So you never, you, I never be able to rationalize whenever she goes off in a rational spin because someone's coming around to the house or whatever. Mm-hmm. I will never be able to go and convince her that what she's saying is irrational because she's convinced it's right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
So it's that it's that process, and then that the people who are trying to pick up the pieces at the end try to rationalize it, and you can't. And that to me is the hardest yeah. thing you'll ever do is trying to rationalize with irrational just doesn't work. How how do we teach that? That's I mean, what can, can we teach that? Is no that idea. should we even bother teaching that? What teachings are how to cope with the the irrational? Well, I I can think of many situations in which that would be useful, but um, I I don't know. I mean, by the time you've got to that point where you have convinced yourself that they're they're they are mistaken, that they only think they that that they want you around, and they will find out how much better off they will be when you're gone. And mm. by the time you've got to that point, that's too late. I mean, you've you've really got to intervene. Not not too late, as but I mean, too too late for that that message really to to be heard effectively. I mean, you've you've got to get got to intervene when there's there's before that that sort of suicidal ideation has progressed to the point where you know that that conviction has taken place. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that that one cannot intervene and turn somebody back from suicide. I mean. I'm speaking from experience here. Mm. I have been turned back, clearly, um, but that is it. It it's a it is a, it feels like a very rational position, as you say, Stuart. At the time, um, the time to to have that intervention is before that thought process has proceeded to that point. Clearly, I'm just curious in having these conversations because we don't have these conversations. So mm. I'm not saying these are you know I'm not trying to get a right or wrong answer either. Mm. Um, and. You know, again, I this is one of those rare occasions where I cannot help but look inwardly uh, at kind of my own processes as well. And so it's just like, you know, you're still constantly trying to kind of work your way back and, and kind of remodify and correct stuff and, and, and change things in your head and say, mm. what, what could I have done differently? I don't know. Um, but I think we do need to talk about it more. We need to yeah. talk more about the, the mental health situation. Um, and, and, and yeah, and, and particularly, I mean, I, I'm not, by any means trying to denigrate women's mental health, but we need to talk about men's mental health. I mean, men's mental health is in crisis. Um, and we, we, we can see evidence of this constantly. I mean, that the statistics are horrifying. I don't want to get into stats, sorry, but there's, there, I mean, it's, it's the leading cause of death in young men between the ages of five and 49. Mm. And that's just horrifying. Um, there's obviously, a, you know, this, this, need, this is a conversation that needs to be had, that the, the taboo needs to be lifted. And I think films like that one are, are brave. And I mean, nobody wanted him to make that film. No. Um, and if you sort of talk to the guy or, or you read what he's, he's talked about, you know, he had to lie to, was it the parks people um, in San Francisco because he knew that they would say no. And in fact, the article that it's based on that was in the, I think it was New, Yorker. The New Yorker. I was going to say New Yorker, and then I doubted myself and thought it might be the New York Times. But the article in the New Yorker, um, the the man um, who was writing that article, um, when he was writing the article, people from the the the, the parks were, were coming up to him and going, "I really wish you wouldn't write this. Mm. I really wish you wouldn't talk about this." Knowing that it's the top spot in the world for suicide, and knowing that the resistance had been there in place since the bridge was built to putting a suicide net. We actually can't get stats on it now. They have got to the point because of the fear of yeah. imitation. Since this film was made and released in 2006, um, they now don't issue stats. They well, don't... It, they officially stopped counting when they were running in on a thousand because they knew yeah. people were going to want to be number 1,000 jumping from the bridge. There's over 1,600 people have yeah. done it since 1937 on the bridge. It was within months of it opening. About. Yeah, within months of it opening. So. Yeah. I mean, there is a romance. I've I've walked across the, the Golden Gate Bridge myself. It's spectacular. 
spectacularly beautiful. It's a bloody that's long walk. It is a very long <laughs> walk. I was not prepared for that at all. I was wearing sandals. I should have been wearing hiking boots. It's a bridge. How long is a bridge? You know, we've walked over bridges, haven't we? Not that one. No, that's a very mm. long bridge indeed. And then but go back the wrong the other and way. And then you've got to yeah. go back the other way as well afterwards. Like, wow, that was a long walk. Oh, yes, the city's over there. Um, <laughs> when you can see it. When you can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I think that's something the film does really, really well is it captures how spectacularly beautiful mm. um, it is as as just, a, you know, it's an incredible achievement of human engineering in an incredibly beautiful place. So I can see why the romance attaches to it, but it's a terrible way to go. Oh, horrible. I can't oh, remember. Do they, actually, do they talk about the physics of they it in the film? They don't talk no. about it in the film, but they do in the article. Yeah, it's yeah. something like it's between 75 and 120 miles an hour yeah. hitting the water most people are internal organs are shredded yeah. it's they, they say people tend to drown in their own blood but that's, that, that's that, but that I mean, that's again that's and that's rational yeah looking yeah. irrational yeah. you know it's um it's a terrible way to go it's that's a funny old cliche that you hear quite a lot whenever people say, oh, such and such. Oh, it's a terrible way to go. Like, there's a good way to go, you know. Oh, I think there, is, I think there are some good When I'm 120 go. in my bed asleep at night. My great-grandmother decided that she was ready to go and she fell asleep that night and didn't wake up. I think that's a good way to go. But then it's the issue here. Yeah. So yeah. then we're, we're kind of, we get fixated on the practicalities of it rather than, again, this is how we kind of deal with this conversation as we get onto yeah. the issues. How do you do it? Why do we not talk about this? But that's what about the actual mental state that puts you in that place? That's, that's exactly the, the gap I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, the, we're, we're very good at talking about it after. Oh, you know, maybe if we had it done this and like, then do it. Do you know what I mean? If we're, if we're sitting, if, if we're at any point after someone's committed suicide, go, oh, maybe we could have done that. Then why aren't we doing it? Do you know what I mean? Hmm. And that's it. I don't know. Obviously, there's no answers that I have. Anyway, I've only got my own opinions on it, but um, I don't. I don't know what the answer would be. You know, it's a, is it being able to identify the early stages of mental health issues, or is it being able to learn support structures, or is it being able to just identify it in yourself? I, I, I think it would be helpful if we could talk about it openly and freely without fear of judgment, which is the the yeah. big problem. I mean, I I had a situation, so I I. I'm fairly public about this. I had massive depression issues as a teenager into my 20s and then a very bad relationship uh, that sent me over the edge. But there was a point where I went to my GP for um, antidepressants. Uh, my GP refused to put it down onto my record that I was being put on antidepressants because I was depressed. Instead, he had a whole big story about how they were also quite good for back pain. Which I also instantly had, <laughs> but that's what was going on my record. Not well, I, I. I actually need some proper help. But it's just like my back sore. But that's that is a very real issue, though. Mm. I mean, I know somebody very well indeed who um, regrets ever having spoken to his GP about depression because he now can't get life insurance. Um, I, I, he was ultimately able to get it, but um, after long battles and paying through the nose for it, because you know the the best that anybody that can can work out is that he's regarded as an unacceptably high risk because he's in the, the highest risk age category for male suicide um and he wishes he he literally said these words to me i wish i'd never said anything about it so th um, this is the problem then so then you, you've got people who are going through this stuff who are in these states where they could do a help and and they can't talk about it mm. you know you you find some sort of outlet and you can't as yeah. a society we don't have these conversations we certainly don't have them frankly because it's classed as something silly 
Something silly? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't do something silly like that, yeah. would you? Mm, no, I, 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 when I started having those seaweed shakes in the morning, I stopped feeling depressed straight away. Um, and just going for a run and stuff like that. Yeah, no, Does that, that work? wasn't depression. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about things that are being said <laughs> to me. You know, I just I started going for runs and I just I drink yak's milk depressed. and it makes me feel better. I, I, yeah, that maybe probably wasn't sort of depression that needed to be treated with antidepressants. And that's just <laughs> because you know. I do go for runs and I'm still depressed. So, you know, <laughs> simplifying it to that extent isn't helpful. Or, or is that masking things and just trying to distract Possibly, yourself by yeah. giving you something else to focus on for a bit rather than actually dealing with the problems that are still fundamentally eating you up from the inside? Yeah, <laughs> yeah unhealthy coping mechanisms and all yeah. that sort of stuff. We'll, yeah. we'll not share details of our unhealthy coping mechanisms <laughs> no. for, <laughs> in case it goes down our permanent record. Yeah. That's um, already there, don't worry. No, I'm well aware we've been talking an awful lot and you may or may not have something to say. Does anyone want to contribute? You don't have to. You're not under any obligation to. Deathly silence. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I wouldn't force anyone to talk. No, he, he normally does me. go out and force people to talk. But I, I told think you not to tell anyone that. Yes, yeah, I know, but <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just explaining why you're being nice. I knew you don't take notes. Hmm? Uh, I knew you don't take notes. Yeah, it's terrible. Um... Yeah, I'm kind of very wary about how far to take this on a personal level tonight uh, and how much to, de- to deviate away from the film um, because the film for me is still a powerful piece of filmmaking. Did, mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, did we all appreciate the film? Yeah, okay. Uh, when you've all stayed, well, you guys have stayed. Some people couldn't take it and they've left. <laughs> I, I, out of curiosity, anybody kind of question the motivation of the film? Because that's that's something that I'm struck with when I watch it. Uh, not that questioning the motivation, um, more that some of the criticisms have been levelled against it. Um, I can see where they've come from. I mean, there's oh, was it in the Guardian. You, it wasn't you, the Guardian. The Guardian reviewer hated it. I mean, loathed it. I think they called it the most morally loathsome film they'd ever seen. Would you feel uh, like you're somehow intruding on something you shouldn't? I I I definitely. I mean, I feel profoundly uncomfortable. Is it is it because it's someone dying? Um, I think it's because I'm watching somebody in a moment that isn't designed to be public, um, and I don't think by I mean by by no means am I sort of anti this film. Mm. I'm very very pro this film, in fact. But I do remember reading a review of it that called it a particularly beautiful snuff film. Um, and yeah, you you know you can't actually really deny that no, there's a. There is a level of, I don't want to say prurience, but there is something that feels a bit prurient about watching people in crisis die horribly. Um, I guess if we, we lingered in close up on their, their bodies as they hit the water, I might feel that, but we kind of don't. We did see somebody getting fished out or starting to be fished out. Sort of, I mean, but it, it was sort of, I mean, for me, it's like watching the jumpers uh, in 9-11. You know, there's a kind of aesthetically, there's a kind of beauty to the the fall and the uh, you know and what what sanitized impact that we see. I mean, for me, there's a distancing there. It's only when you hear the stories about the people and you kind of realize that they're in that moment that you, you sort of think. And um, Jean at the end, you know, or who who sort of bridges the whole film, is particularly kind of um, theatrical, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm struck. Most of them just look vulnerable. They just look horribly, horribly vulnerable. Um, and whatever romance they thought was going to attach to them, by virtue of of dying in that way, 
it's gone. You know, the, the guy that kind of un, ungracefully sort of slips and falls between yeah. the, the, the ledge and the bridge itself. I mean, I, that really did feel horrible to watch that. But, I mean, you do say as well that it's, you know, it's a, pub, a, a private moment, but it's a very public sphere and yeah. space in which oh, to do, agree, you know, as they yes. say, there's a, there's a little bit of um, dialogue for one of the tour guides. There's over 9 million people come to visit this every year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's obviously a lot of people in that space who can see you. Mm-hmm. Stuart, you're looking very thoughtful and I, I kind I'm of... I'm trying to get my head around the whole sort of idea of should you be watching people when they're in their most vulnerable state? I mean, we spend a lot of our time within search and rescue either intervening when people are at their most vulnerable or dealing with the repercussions when they've reached that vulnerable state and should you be watching it as a movie? Um, well, they did shoot a documentary about you guys, didn't they, fairly recently? They did, I, BBC. I have, not, I have, I have to admit I have not watched it. It didn't, it didn't show anything. And that's obviously a choice that, that they've... No. they've but um, I don't want to say I've become desensitized to stuff like that, but in a way I kind of have with sort of life experiences and experiences within the team. But I think people need the underest or need to understand the the impact. Mm-hmm. And I think in this day and age, when people don't read and people have less imagination than they would have done maybe ten, fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the only way to get the impact in your head is to visualize it. And unfortunately, that seems to be through video or through YouTube or through shock factors. Sort mm-hmm. of, I mean, TV is full of it. I mean, you've got, you talk about, it, is it okay to, for that documentary? And people um, put a lot of fire across the bow of that documentary it's this it's that whatever but you watch the news yeah you want to be you want to see shocking images you watch the news you know what i mean it's day I, in I day tend, out i tend to shout at the news i'm not allowed to watch it anymore well, you know you know it, it's that it's that effect it's that emotive and in this day and age it's less about written word mm. and imagination more about visual stimulation and to be to become emotive yeah, I mean, it's, we need to see yeah. stuff and we need to be shocked at. And Certainly, I mean, there's no room for complacency after watching that film. No. There's, uh, and uh, again, I mean, I suppose that idea that it's it's glorious or or romantic. Um, I don't think you can watch that film and come away with that sense. Um, well, I mean, for, for put into context, I mean, if you're you're told that this is about a person a week mm-hmm. attempts to jump from the bridge. And then you, you know, this is what we know. And this is a very, very visible place and a very, you know, somewhere that's very, very apparent. Um, Stuart, you were telling me what the statistics were for your call-outs. Well, last year, now this is sort of regional Northern Ireland, we had 404 call-outs. Now that's encompassing the mental health mm-hmm. issues and the sort of illness with dementia and that sort of, but it's still, we're Europe's busiest search and rescue team. And the majority of what we do is um, mental health issues. Most of that goes unseen. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes unreported. It's only recently, it's only within the past maybe year that we've actually had a Facebook presence. Mm-hmm. Because where we're different, the likes of Mountain Rescue and stuff like that is the people that we go looking for don't want to be found. And we, we've never really been in a position to not advertise our services, but to have a Facebook or a social media presence because the sensitive stuff we're dealing with isn't for Facebook. Now, we're in a situation now where for fundraising and et cetera, et cetera. We need to be in that, so we do it very sensitively. But certainly I knew before I joined 
the team that it was busy. Mm. I had no idea how busy until I joined the team. I mean, I definitely spent more time with CRS members than I do with my own family. And that's, that's the reality of it. And we're 24-7, 365 days a year. You know, that's, we get call out on Christmas morning, we get a call out New Year's Day, whatever, and that's what we, we do. And it's, unfortunately, and it, it's terrible to sit here and say it, it's not getting any less. The, the, the fact that you, you as an organization need to fundraise um, at all sort of says a lot about Always the sticks in my throat. Always sticks it? in my throat because we have the fire service turnout sometimes. Yeah. We have, you know, all the paid um, statute bodies, but yeah. yet, not that we're used and abused, but we are. <laughs> but, but, we're um, absolutely used and abused. A service that's getting increasingly necessary, a service that 404, I mean, that's more than one a day. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, that the service is so underfunded that it now needs to fundraise. Well, it's completely, it's completely sort of self-funded. I yeah. mean, we're all volunteers right yeah. from the top, right down to the bottom. Well, I mean, I think that just sort of shows, uh, to a certain extent to me anyway, the invisibility. Yeah. Of, and of it's still instilled at us. I mean, I've been with the team three something odd years now. Yeah. And still people are going, oh, I never heard of you. It's like, because you won't. I'll oh. be honest, I, I hadn't heard of you guys before Robert was, was mm-hmm. saying that you, again, I mean, it's, it's I'm, I'm just sort of struck by just how necessary um, an institution it is and how desperately sad it is that it's so necessary. But the beauty of it is, and the beauty of the way our organisation works is we're, we're, we're maybe getting paid would make us cynical because, I mean, we're not as cold cut as a lot of the sort of stature bodies are. You know, we, we'll return to searches time and time again until we find a result. I think the longest one we've had has been um, nine months or something like that, maybe longer. But um, everybody who's in the team has their own individual problems, and we all know each other. And we're a we, we, we cliche, we're a wee family, you know, and we, we do, and we all have our, our reasons for joining. We all have our our good days and our bad days, and, all, and we go out with the best intention. And I think sometimes if you brought in the pay level, it might bring in that sort of level of cynicism that sort of that, that we witness certainly whenever we work when, with other bodies, you know. I suppose you would probably have to put a line under some of your searches and say that's it. Budgets run out, can't do that anymore. Well, that's, I mean, that when that, you start that, paying people, you start falling under bureaucracy and you start mm-hmm. going, you know, oh, health and safety, you've been out for, you know, we've been out for days. I mean, one of the longest searches I've been involved in is 22 days and that's going to work, finishing work, going searching, mm-hmm. going to bed going to work, finishing work, going searching for 22 straight days, you know, and any other, if you were getting paid to do it, you're like, oh, can't do that, that's not health and safety, you know, it's like, but that's the difference, that's, we do it for the right reasons and also. I think, I think what comes across very clearly is that our attitude to mental health is, is still very much. Uh, it's fix it, not prevent it. Yeah. Looking for something after after the horse is bolted is, is not the time to to do it. I mean, it's an important part of of what needs to go on, but yeah, you definitely. Know, you it's hopefully want to try and avoid getting to that point. Yeah, and I can't imagine actually getting to that point even of of, of the discoveries is something. I mean, your mental health, doing what you do, cannot be in the best of places. It it affects you. Certainly does. Um. I've struggled with mental health issues in the past with certain addictions and um, attempts myself, but dealing with it and seeing, it's seeing the, the fallout and 
the upset sort of people left behind, but yet the gratefulness for whenever you do bring a body home. Mm. And they're so grateful for for that closure bit or that next step. It actually keeps it keeps me grounded doing it. You know, it sort of makes any time I feel like sort of spiraling out of control or whatever. You go out on a call it and you just sort of go, actually, no, it's okay. I feel crap. And there's people here around me who know when I feel crap or know whenever I'm not on form. So they bring me aside and they're like, we'll talk about it. And it's, and it's genuine communication and it's genuine connections. And that's the absolute key. And that's what I keep, I've said a few times tonight is we miss this gap between, are you okay? And oh, crap, we should have done something. Mm. And I think, I think certainly being involved with the organization has taught me to invest in the people beside you. That's for sure. I suppose to take things on a slightly more positive note, um, anecdotally at least, um, from my experience, things are getting better in terms of this, the, the ability to talk about mental health and the ability to not be okay with your mental health um, and the, the resources available. Um, I mean, again, this is not something I talk about an awful lot, but I started showing signs of mental ill health when I was quite a young child um, and there was nothing available. Um, my mother is a very resourceful woman and she is a very empathetic woman and she is a very determined woman and she could find nothing to help this five-year-old child. She put me on zinc tablets in the end because somebody told her that might help and there wasn't anything available back in the, the 1980s and she would, I guarantee she would have found it if it had been there because she scarred high and low trying to help me. Um, and if I compare that to the situation these days, um, children in my life um, that you know are, are, are dear to me, and I'm not going to name them or, or anything for their own privacy, um, showing signs of mental ill health has resulted in a referral very quickly to people who can help them. So the intervention is more available. Um, but again, it requires the, the asking for it, I suppose. And it's the, um, we're, we're fortunate to an extent in my family in that we have more <laughs> experience than perhaps one would like of mental ill health. Um, we, are, we know what to look for. We are on the lookout for it. Um, so there is no need to bury it or to disguise it. Um, and I think... Is the there not a risk that? of pigeonholing them whenever... Oh, I suppose that is at yeah, a very young age. Bang! There's yeah. your yeah, and you're in this category. Yeah, and stay absolutely. There. Get yeah. and get out of that if you can. Um, yeah. well, you, look, you look at America and the the, the chronic problems they have with yeah. you know, things like opioids and and, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. medication yeah. and you know they medicate everything rather than actually deal with it. So talking therapy, for example, is something that I think we need a lot more of. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just bloody open your mouth and, and talk about yeah. whatever it is that's getting you down and stop we don't we don't have the capacity up. to do it i mean no. there's the there isn't the, the the capacity for that except in a therapeutic session very often in people's lives um in the same way i think with your workplace i mean it's something that you know you've got a lot of friends and family in that documentary you know but there's not employers and the people who are probably they're spending most of their times mm. with who are sitting there with somebody who's in crisis not doing very much for them uh, i mean we're lucky we work together a bit so you know if, if i'm feeling down i can say to rachel rachel i'm feeling like shit today mm. and she'll go give me five minutes i'm just with the kid um, mm. and then i might get a text back but we can we can chat you know there there's a system there but 
when you freelance, it's very different. If, you know, if mm-hmm. you're working with someone in that capacity, it's different from being in a big company where they have HR departments and everything else, and and they're maybe kind of oblivious to what's going on, or they're not oblivious, but they just don't have the capacity. Or there's a stigma attached to it. Mm. Um, I cannot tell you how many uh, places I've worked where somebody has um, had a period of depression that's required them to be absent from work, and the bitching that goes on behind their back about that. You know, really? oh, I wish I could get some time off for feeling sad. I'm just, I just, it, it, it enrages me. I see that's never something I've never thought about, and I, I, I went off long-term sick at one point um, with mental health problems. I have no idea what they said about me. Mm. <laughs> to be honest, I don't want to think about mm. it. Oh, I yeah. think they didn't There's say anything. It's just being silly. Yeah, yeah. It's, mm. the, it's the stigma. Mm. Um, and we, have, we haven't got rid of that. Um, I, I think part of it is the, the lack of understanding of what um, mental ill health actually is. You know, when it doesn't look like very demonstrative mental ill health, like, you know, paranoid schizophrenia, that, that woman, and mm. um, uh, then I think there is a complete lack of understanding sometimes. And somebody that hasn't experienced it, hasn't seen it happen, or hasn't known that they've seen it happen, um, there, there seems to be a real lack of ability to empathize with the fact that it's actually, it is a debilitating illness. Um, and yeah, some people can work with it. Other people can't. I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, well, I'll let you have any final thoughts either on the film or on, on the appalling state of our mental health. The appalling state of our mental Let's not finish it on a negative point because there is a lot of good goes on. And Go on, you know sir, what? Give, me, give me a good thing. There's finally a suicide net underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. There is not a complete suicide net. It's in the process. It's in the process. It's it's been decades of arguing it though. Decades of arguing, but they've done it. You think of the amount of lives that's going to save, just by even by making it a little bit more difficult. To end your life there, there are people that are going to be um, turned off that, and and if they are still in crisis, they might be prompted to reach out, or they might be prompted to to try a method that that can be rescued from. It's a very good thing. I mean, I still have flashbacks walking across that bridge and seeing over the edge because it's quite scary and and the little man in this little golf buggy with the police stopping to make sure i was okay as i'm walking across it's like yeah fine thanks <laughs> now i feel really self-conscious and like i keep need to keep moving um so yes that is good yes uh stuart you you have that lovely smile on your face like you've got a really nice smile. thing to say <laughs> no i just uh, what can i leave this on i mean it's uh, the positives that i see a lot more good especially around belfast than i do Bad, if that makes sense. I mean, we do a, we do a patrol on a Friday and Saturday, and I see a lot of good people, a lot of vulnerable people, but a lot of people who are open for you to come and have a chat with them mm. if you sit down beside them and bring yourself on their level, you know. So I think overall, I think it's down to individuals just to step outside their comfort zone and speak to people and not be scared of just taking five minutes out of your life and spending it with someone else, complete strangers or or not, it doesn't matter. Quite like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have any positive to say or not. <laughs> not that I want to sit and wallow in negativity at all. You're um, wearing red crushed velvet. What's not positive about that? We're going to see. Well, our listeners can't see it. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, fabulous. Ish. Th- I, I think the positive for me is look, we are having a conversation, and and you know, at any point, we're we're very we feel very strongly about facilitating these kind of conversations. 
um i know that people will tune into our podcast and they'll they'll download and they'll listen to it and hopefully they'll have conversations as well and, and to reassure people who are listening there is information on our website uh if you need a referral for for any kind of support or if you can't find the information just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction we're trying to assist with that um, it's absolutely worth making the call as well yeah if you are in a bad place it is absolutely worth making the call it can feel like an absolutely insurmountable obstacle but there are people at the other end of the line who are ready to help you yeah it does make a difference i've been there you know it, sure it helps it's, it's it's something we feel is important and we want to carry on having these conversations and if you're interested in having more these conversations with us just get in touch um Thank you, those of you who came and, and for offering to help. Um, hopefully there's, there's some benefit out of that. Uh, thanks to Rachel for watching yet another one of my suggestions. <laughs> it's a good suggestion. They're generally good suggestions. I've only hated one of the things you've made me watch so far. So far. I think we are going to case that it was quite good. Uh, and Stuart, thank you, you very much for joining us. You're welcome. No um, thanks for the opportunity. I'll happily have you back at some point to talk more about this. Because I think uh, it's, If it's, I come back. Yeah. You come back. <laughs> You're not allowed to leave. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fascinating and, and kind of a really useful insight into, into what goes on for someone who's on the front line of, of the work. So appreciate Thank that. Thank you. No um, yeah, so that's us. You'll find out more about us on our website. Uh, we're at www.cinepunk.com. You'll also get us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and... All those nasty social media stuff. Yeah, where we're, we kind of engage with you all <laughs> in a very <laughs> positive way. Um, so, yes, so uh, download our podcast from the website, etc., etc. And um, hopefully we'll see you again. And thanks very much to the Crescent for facilitating this special event and the staff here for helping out. You are much appreciated. Uh, so love to you all big hugs all round <laughs> pat your friends on the back um, and uh, yeah we'll see you again thank you just layer that applause up a couple of times make it sound like we had a full house <laughs>